0: You're listening to SBS News. I think that there's a you know for, for the people on the at the forefront of climate change, for local communities and and the civil society organisations that work work with them, there's a huge disconnect between what's happening to them. They're seeing their beaches and islands go under in the Pacific. They're seeing the the very existence of their um, of their countries or their nations um, threatened. Between that and and a lot of the big um, lobbying players. Uh, who, um, who come and descend on, on the COP discussions and try to influence it. So it's absolutely essential that civil society from the Pacific, from Australia, from the rest of the world is there, putting up a big fight and, and make, and having their voices heard so that, um, so that we're not drowned out, um, and that that urgency is really understood.
1: Some reporting already uh, revealed documentation. The host country wants it to focus on uh, discussions on oil and um, using that as a platform for that. I mean, what's your reaction to, to hearing that uh, that's still very much a concern, the, the lobbying and, uh, you know, whether we're on a trajectory to phase out fossil fuels or whether we're still very much with it?
0: It's deeply concerning that anyone would be using uh, the the climate change conference as a way of of speeding up or expanding fossil uh, fossil fuel um, markets. Um, you know, we really, the civil society organisations, Caritas, uh, the um, uh, Pacific uh, Pacific civil society, are all there to to make sure that people understand the urgency of what's happening at COP um, and uh, and take action around it.
1: What will be you know hallmarks of success from from your point of view?
0: Well we really want to see action on the the new loss and damage fund um so we're hoping that there's going to be that the model that's been agreed to uh, will be implemented with with improvements um we need to make sure that um, not only is a loss and damage fund announced but that there is sufficient scale that um that, uh, to, to ensure that it's effective and that it's really delivering for the people at the front lines of climate change. Uh, we also need to make sure that it includes non-economic loss and damage. Um, and our new report um, uh, on, on non-economic, non-economic loss and damage from Caritas shows how important that is, especially for the most vulnerable and developed um, countries, uh, developing countries around the world.
1: And if you could give me some insight as well, did you also do as part of that uh, report or separate work, some surveying on the attitudes of Australians when it comes to understanding, uh, you know, this economic loss and damage? um, And what, what did that reveal?
0: Absolutely, uh, Australians really saw that. Um, yes, they understood the importance of the economic um, damage that happens from climate change, as you know, crops or industries are, are affected, and and that um, money making um, facility you know is reduced. But what really hit home for Australians was the the non economic form. So when when wildfires break out, when people's homes are destroyed, when they have to move the um uh, the emotional the um the, the chain the, the things that change people's lives um, from from climate change are really those non-economic um non-economic forms uh, and in the Pacific that's absolutely true as well as people face uh, uh climate displacement as they have to leave uh, ancestral homes or give up um, uh, give up their islands uh as they face uh, uh you know the the cultural and spiritual impacts of climate change um are, are, are deeply important um, is what our pacific partners are telling us uh and so we need to make sure that those are those are counted in uh, those effects are really accounted for in what the world is doing in in loss and damage and that it, it, they're not just um Waived off and uh, as insignificant things because they're they're not directly um, you can't put a direct dollar value on them.
1: Yes, it's, it's been somewhat uh, since nineteen ninety two when the principle of uh, common but differentiated, you know uh, principles around this financing. It's been a bit of a thorny issue. It's been something that's we really uh, climate financing have really uh, haven't got a good track record from. Um, we're talking now about a, a you know proposed new loss and damage fund, but there really hasn't been a great level of contribution from the the wealthier nations to the the previous funds, the the green fund and the like. I mean, what what's your hope going into this one that? Uh, you know, number one, that we uh, we we actually just overall um, get people to follow through uh, on the commitments from wealthier nations to uh, provide that finance for for developing nations.
0: Well, that that was the message with uh, we went to with our, our young Pacific um, climate leaders and with Reverend um, James Bagwan, the head of the Pacific Conference of Churches, in to meet with Minister Chris Bowen, uh, and we said, look, Australia wants to be a, a member of the Pacific family. Um, we've got a new relationship with the Pacific, but we need uh, to, that to be followed up with deeds, not just words. And that means um, taking action uh, on the new loss and damage fund. Being uh, one of the first, we need to be leading to commit funds um, to that uh, that new mechanism to show the world that we've um, we've got confidence in it, um, that it's going to be. We we see that the importance of it for our Pacific neighbours. Uh, and that it's got, we're going to help make sure that it's an effective and um, and fully functioning fund.
1: We've kind of launched into this discussion of loss and damage fund and all all these types of technical terms where maybe a general audience may not understand that. It's if we just give a layman's understanding, why do you think that's been such a barrier to try and deal with this climate financing issue? Uh, this this sense of fairness and equity around uh, it doesn't matter whether you take nineteen ninety two or whichever year um who is a developed who is a developing uh, nation uh, to to resolve this issue
0: look we, we know that there is a you know general acceptance um throughout the world that um climate emitters the the be- the people who have historically put out um, the the major amounts of of carbon should bear um, some responsibility. Um, to deal with the the effects of those emissions on the countries that are the most vulnerable. And that's what a loss and damage fund does. It provides funding um, for um, the major impacts of climate change when when things can't be mitigated or adapted, when when, infrastructure is knocked out, when roads or telecommunications um, towers are destroyed. Or um, when other things, um, you know, people have to make fundamental changes in, in their life, like moving uh, uh, moving to new areas, um, abandoning their, their homes, those kind of big-ticket um, big, big ticket loss and damage items are what uh, what the fund uh, will deal with.
1: Yeah, and why do you think it's been something that we really haven't been able to resolve in, you know, 30 years?
0: Well, it's been a, it's a battle to make sure that, the, um those emitters um take responsibility they, there's just been a, a reluctance to um to admit that there is that responsibility among uh especially among the developed world um to the global south um and it's only as the the impacts on on the global south on the most vulnerable countries have have really started to show up in in recent years as as cyclones have increased as des- as salination has has ripped through um islands uh, as you know, you've seen the massive floods in um, in Western Asia. It's really come home to, to make people understand the, the immediacy of the need for this.
1: The news that the Pope won't be in attendance yep. at COP twenty eight. How do you react to that? Is that is that a setback?
0: We all feel intense sadness at. at um, uh, Pope Francis's uh, illness and the fact that he can't be there, and you know, we pray our thoughts and our prayers are with him for a, a speedy recovery. Uh, we know what a what a strong um, statements he's made, what a strong climate warrior he's been to try to get the the global community moving on um, emissions reduction and on responding to climate change. And he's just put out a, a most recent encyclical uh, only a, a few weeks ago, just in the lead up to COP. So we know that he was going to have this um, this great convening power, bringing People together, bringing different faiths together, bringing people together from around the world, to have a, a really strong voice and a strong presence at COP. And we'll all have to work harder, uh, and we'll work with um, with all those those people that he's been getting together, with the Holy See and with, with other groups, to to have that impact and to continue that work that 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 um that he was planning.
1: And you mentioned you met with the the climate minister Chris Bowen early this week. I mean, he's also been making statements. Uh, giving speeches, uh, saying that he is really keen for the Australian government to be advocating for, uh, you know, developed nations to be uh, contributing um, from a broad base is the words that he used to a proposed loss and damage fund. Um, he he wants the ambition on uh, climate um climate uh, you know renewables and um you know efficiency of energy sources to be tripled, to be doubled. I mean, how did you feel at the end of that meeting and, and what do you make of uh, you know the Australian government how they're responding heading into this cop twenty eight?
0: Look Minister Bonen has a really big responsibility on his shoulders, and it's uh it's it's great that he is um, showing leadership uh, in this. But he needs to be delivering, um, for, uh, for the Pacific. There is, it's true that there at the moment, there are no guarantees about the scale of the loss and damage fund. Uh, and when you think that the estimates of the sort of loss and damage that, the, that is currently happening from climate change, um, amount to about $400 billion a year, you realize that having a small fund, having a fund that it doesn't have, um, significant commitments from, um, uh, all major developed nations, uh, and and from a broad range, a broad base of of donors, um, it's just not going to um, uh, have it'll have a, a you know a, a, a tiny scratch on the um, uh, on on its impact on on actually meeting the needs of people. So um, we um, we've got uh, we'll keep pushing uh, the Australian government and Minister Bowen to to live up to that that responsibility that it that that they've taken on. Uh, and we're looking forward to working, working together with him. And, and it's really important that he had, he puts in place that sort of, um, contact and those structures to ensure that the Pacific, um, he's talking to the Pacific and that he's got representation from the Pacific on all these major decisions, um, as he, as he's moving forward on them.
1: As you say, a lot of the details will be the the subject of this COP28. But uh, economists are throwing out there like one trillion is is ballpark of what you know a loss and damage fund should be at. What what are your thoughts on the quantum of what kind of range we're looking at here? What we need?
0: Well, I think that I think these you know four hundred billion or or one trillion, it's there indicative of just how deeply serious and widespread the impact of climate change is and it makes it just laughable that and that that people might not be taking this seriously and might still be trying to um engineer you know oil deals at at cops rather than actually deal with the the um the 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 billions and billions of dollars uh in damage that is being caused right now and that is only going to expand in the in the years to come so it's, it's a it's a huge wake-up call um, and at the moment you know the this um, these this damage is being borne by the world's most vulnerable it's being it's being caused by uh, emission, uh, emitters who've made uh, massive profits uh, and it's being and they're not paying the price for it the price is being paid by um, uh, least developed countries by, by climate vulnerable countries uh, and' in our enabled by the Pacific. And and that's deeply um, in unjust.
1: A lot of people do feel a sense of helplessness at the scale of climate change. And what can a little person like me do? I mean, how are you feeling heading into this kind of emotionally? Uh, you know, sometimes it's really hard because you're like, oh, there's so many stakeholders here. We can't get the expectation too high. But what's your – how are you feeling?
0: I'm hopeful. I'm We're going to this COP with, with with hopes. Um, that we'll see, you know, further change and further momentum. Uh, and if Australia is going to hold the Pacific, co- a COP with the Pacific in in a couple of years' time, you know, we really need to see the Australian government making um, moves and and not just pursuing business as usual at this COP. So we've got a lot of a lot of hope in the Albanese government uh, and in uh, in Minister Bowen, but they they really need to live up to what they've promised. <laughs>